So we've moved on to our next um, sermon, which is the Great Commission. We've probably done something like this before, where we spoke about what the Great Commission is, and we've probably done it this year sometime, and talking about what discipleship is. But today we're going to look at this in, in a lot more detail and what it means. Um, I misspelled commission, by the way. That's wrong, which I kept doing as I was preparing this message. Um, it's laziness. Uh, but we learn about the Great Commission today. We want to get into what this is actually saying. Um, and we've spoken about this command in many ways, but um, you may know that this church uh, has had the Great Commission as its motto for at least the last 10 years. Uh, we don't make a big deal out of that anymore, but um, we do think that uh, if there's any motto to have for a church, it should be go and make disciples, because that was the command that Jesus gave to his church uh, going forward for his disciples. And along with this, it's, it's healthy for churches to have this mission, uh, mission and vision statements. It's healthy for churches to know where they're going, what they're doing, what their purpose is. The church must know why we do anything, why the purpose of his existence in both the kingdom, way of Jesus, but also why it exists in a specific place and the area it is in. And these are useful. But ultimately, uh, these must always point to the Great Commission in one way or another. So we don't recreate the wheel when we, when we look at vision statements. What we do is we go, how do we achieve the Great Commission as this church? And then specifically, how do we do it in Welling? How do we do it to the neighbours and the people around us? And that's where we are. We do love global evangelism, of course, and we support it. Uh, but for us here, as with many churches, we are called into the community that immediately surrounds us. So let's look at this verse, or verses, that we're going to be uh, looking at today. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And it says, then the, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The main focus of this verse, clearly, uh, is going to be go and make disciples. But what does that mean? Well, we have this word right here. And this is what it means to be a disciple, to make a disciple. Mathetio. Mathetio is how you pronounce it. Mathetio. Let's keep practicing that. Mathetio. And that's the word. Uh, but this word means to be disciple, to make a disciple. It also comes from another root word which we look at, which is to learn. And so maybe the context of this uh, go and make disciples is to go and teach so people learn. And that's kind of the thing we're looking at this morning. But what is interesting when I was preparing for this message uh, is that we can get into real uh, theology of this word and we get into real, the, the real dig deep into just these few words that Jesus says that we're looking at today. But I think what's missed in all the verses we just looked at there uh, was that actually Jesus explains what it means in that one section. And we go, what does he mean by go and make disciples? And actually, in, that, in those verses, he explains exactly what go and make disciples means, because it ties in with these words, with these 
with the original language that they were speaking, and I'll explain what that means as well. And so, in fact, what happens is Jesus dissects the statement that he literally just made. He makes a statement, and then he says, by doing this. There's a comma. You want to look at it from that point of view? And then he says what that means. What does it mean to go and make disciples? And that's what we want to look at. We want to keep to this, uh, to keep to the text rather than going too far into philosophy and what it might mean. Let's look at what the text is actually saying. And I said recently to someone that we, as Christians, as leaders certainly, we have a habit of sometimes making the Bible harder to understand uh, when we over-interpret the word. And we can do that, and that's not intentional. It's just that we can't get a little bit lost in the whole the Greek words and, and the original language. And sometimes we may over-interpret what that means. And so when teachers teach, there is a constant element, of course, to, in preparation to interpret. And that's fine. We always look to interpret the word as teachers, as preachers. That's our job, is to interpret the word and, and see what it's saying. But in doing so, we also have to be careful that we don't go into philosophizing, into the, the, the world of philosophy and, and start guessing at what the word is saying. Or pontificating is a word I've learned recently. Uh, to, uh, to go too far to... What's the word? Um, there's, there is a term for it that's not pontificating. I can't remember what it is. Uh, navel-gazing, maybe, is another one. Uh, we just get so far into it that we kind of lose the focus of why we're even talking about this in the first place. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at the direct meaning of the text. Uh, and the Bible in each of its verses and books has a meaning. Yet they always carry the one meaning for each verse, for each book, for each context. The whole Bible carries a meaning. Uh, and many meanings within those verses. It's been inspired and written by God through the various writers of the Bible. So we get to grips with the meaning and we interpret it so we can apply in our context. Uh, and like I said a couple of weeks ago, we look at the meaning and the Bible says this is what it means. And then we go, how does that apply in my context? How does that apply in my life, how I interact with people, how I go out and share the gospel? The gospel stays true, the word stays true, but my context, it can be applied to. So that way, there's no disconnect. I, can't, I don't look at the Bible and I go, how can I do that? I can't do what the disciples did. Actually, we are allowed to see the meaning and go, I, I, I need to seek how to apply it in my life. How do I spread the gospel and share that with others? And so we get to grips with the text. You might remember, probably a few months ago, we learned about inductive and deductive approach to the Bible. Inductive and deductive. Inductive meaning that um, the Bible has a message to uncover. So we come as best as we can without bias and we look at the word and we go, what is the Bible trying to teach me? That makes sense? I let the Bible teach me. Deductive reasoning as we learned, and you may not remember this because it was some time ago, is that I have a predetermined view and I go and find material that supports my view. Yeah, that's deductive reasoning. That's when we have a conclusion and we find things to back up our already maybe incorrect conclusion about what the Bible is saying. And so this is where we get kind of Bible big heads battling each other over the internet, over Facebook, throwing verses at each other saying, yeah, but Jesus said this and Jesus said that. Actually, what we're trying to do in some circumstances is just trying to back up a predetermined uh, answer to the question. 
And that, I would say, is we're not letting the Bible teach us. We're just trying to find a way to back up our own conclusions. So let's use the verses to understand what Jesus meant. And to do this, we need to step back one verse, which is verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So before Jesus makes this statement of go and make disciples, he firstly qualifies himself as the one who can say that. And so he knows that people know about God, he's talking to his disciples, they know about God, and he's now saying, I have all authority to do the Father's will. And I'm telling you, I have all authority to do that. He doesn't just rush in and say, go and make disciples, I order you to do that. He says, I can say that because I have authority from the Father to do so. If you think of an army, if you think of the police, if you think of the fire brigade, they all have these authority structures in place, for good reason, too. Authority structures, not authoritarian, authority structures are helpful in understanding commands given to those people. So when the commands are passed down, we know that they're true and they stay valid. So from the highest echelons, of the army or police or wherever it is, when those orders are passed down, there's continuity in the orders. Does that make sense? So there's, valid, there's a valid, yeah, validity in the commands. Does that make sense? It doesn't lose because some, they're working as mates. They're not working as mates. They're not working as equals. They're working as a chain in authority. So that stays pure and there's, there's, this, there's this chain. And so we see this in Jesus. We see this as he obeys the Father. There's an authority coming down. And so he passes that to his disciples. And he says, I'm the authority. I'm all, the, all authority to you. Now you go and do this. So the structure gives them help. It helps them to understand that Jesus is in charge. And so the orders are valid. The orders are given with confidence because of the hierarchy. And if they're on the equal footing, it wouldn't work. If they're just mates of a group of people, how can I tell someone what to do if I have no authority over them? And this is what Jesus is inviting his disciples to do. Come under my authority and then you'll you'll obey my commands as I give them to you. And remember, even in the Trinity there is a hierarchy of Father, Son and Holy Spirit that are all equally God. God the Father, this is what we say sometimes in prayers in I think even in worship, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a very quick and simple way to understand that it's God and then there is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then there is a hierarchy in that too. Jesus submits to his Father, the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus and the Holy Spirit now teaches us what Jesus has been teaching. Does that make sense? There's an authority structure going on here. But they're all weakly God. I'm not going to get into that now because that's a whole other sermon on its own that I've already done and we'll probably have to do again next year. Anyway, let's move on. So in order for, to work from, one, uh, from a Christian perspective, at least one thing has to happen. I have to know that the person who gives commands is actually authorised to do so. For Jesus, in this statement, he says, all authority has been given to me. And this was so that the disciples knew that the God they trust and obey is the same God, God the Son. Same God. And how? Well, because the same chapter... We see that in this same chapter in Matthew, we see that Jesus is risen. If you look back slightly in this chapter, it talks about the risen Jesus. There's, there's already a proving going on, which he didn't need to do, but he's proved to the disciples he is who he says he is, by 
com- almost completing what was uh, prophesied, which was Jesus was going to come, he was going to die, rise again, and ascend to the Father. So it's almost finished that sense of that time of prophecy, and he's proven, though he didn't need to, that he is God. But not only that, we see this same reflection, I would say, in Daniel. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And there's almost a similarity in between with Matthew and, and Daniel in these verses. And so what, what's happening here is, is not only do they have to rely on the Jesus that they're seeing in front of them and prophecy being fulfilled, there is already, uh, before that, Daniel having this dream. And this is what he sees. And we're seeing similarities in what's happening. These is parallels, but we'll touch on that at the end uh, and I'll tell you how they all link together. So, What Jesus does in his first statement is to establish that we can say, uh, he can say in the next statement, go and make disciples. So now he's ready. Now he's established his authority to them and he said, now I can say to you, go and make disciples. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he commanded his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. He commanded them to baptize in the one singular name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and therefore on the authority of the Trinity meaning that it is written in the verse, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What it doesn't say is in the names, plural, of. Does that make sense? It's, it, it's small, but it's important to understand. It's one name, God, but three in the Trini- as the Trinity. Does that make sense? Very, very important that we understand that the Trinity is, as we believe as this church, is is real and true. One God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. So then he told them to teach these new disciples uh, from the nations all that he had commanded. And this is where we draw another part of the meaning to go and make disciples. And here is another word we need to learn. Uh, that was what I said earlier. And that's what I said earlier. <laughs> And here is the other word. So we have uh, mathetio, which is what we already know uh, is to make a disciple. And then we have this Greek word, manthano. And that is to learn. And manthano is the root word of matheteo. This is where matheteo comes from. Manthano is to learn. So what we begin to see is that Jesus makes the statement, go and make disciples. And instead of just moving on to another point, he actually goes on to define it. So the word matheteo, meaning to make disciples, comes from the word manthano, meaning to learn. So Jesus says, and this is my statement as we pull this together, it's not what's in the Bible, word for word, people learn to become a disciple by being taught everything that Jesus commanded them to. Does that make sense? As we draw these words together, the original meanings, this is what we're seeing, this is kind of what we're hearing, this is how I summed it up. 
not that we need to make it any easier because the Bible is quite clear. People learn to become a disciple by being taught everything that Jesus commanded them to do. So you see, there's no need for over-complexity and dissection. There is, in parts of the Bible, we need to do that and really dig into the Word. But Jesus is, other times, very clear, and other times he is purposely aloof because he wants us to, to study more, he wants us to learn more about him. In this case, he needs to be clear. He is telling the disciples, go and make disciples. It's such an important mission, I'm not mincing my words anymore in that sense. I'm not, I'm not now telling you parables in this way, I'm telling you a direct command, go and make disciples. And then you might think now, well, hold on a minute, in that verse there was baptism, and you've gone past it. Well, I haven't. I've intentionally left this till this point. So that we can understand some kind of order. And I think this will help us. And I'm going to get the scripture, let scripture explain what order, should we say, this happens in. This is uh, the eunuch and Philip. And in Acts 8, 34, 36, 38, uh, it says, Eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See what's happening? Teaching him about Jesus. Teaching. Then he goes, As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. So you're getting this sense already that that's not the end of it, by the way, but he's sharing with him and starting to teach him about Jesus. And then he says, because I've heard about this Jesus, I want to follow what he's done, which is to be baptised. So I get baptised. And that continues. That carries on that journey for the eunuch will continue in that he's been taught, he's learning more about Jesus. So it just gives us this sense of order that we can understand. It isn't about just chucking someone in water and hoping that that will fix the problem or that will make them believe. There is a sense that we need to come alongside people first in order that they know something about Jesus, the important aspects of what he did, so that they want to follow his command and to be baptised and then to carry on growing and maturing in him. Some of your Bibles in this verse might say something at the bottom. And it says a note, some manuscripts, it says, says this. After he says, what can stand in the way of my being baptised, it says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's actually more helpful, but actually in the Bible, if you read, some of your Bibles will have a note, a footnote, and it will say this. And the NIV it has a footnote that says in some manuscripts it states this. And I need to be clear about that because it's not written in the word that we may read uh, just from the verse itself. But I think it's helpful to understand that he's asking a question and actually it's answered. He says, if you believe with all your heart, then he says, why well, believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Then be baptised. And here we have an actual example of what Jesus told the disciples to do. Go and make disciples. 
So now we know that go and make disciples means to believe that Jesus has all authority to tell people about the good news and to baptise in the name of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So now what we need is confidence. that What Jesus said is not love you and leave you, go and make disciples, see you later, I'm off. He didn't say that. In fact, it's the final piece which should take us back to the Jesus who is in all authority. There's almost a circle, a closed circle happening here. We get to this last line that says this. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is making a promise that he'll be with them to the end of the age. But this promise is no ordinary promise. This promise means that because Jesus has authority, if they follow his command, they will accomplish the mission because Jesus is with them and ahead of them. Remember, we go back to our Daniel verse. His, his dominion is forever and ever and cannot be destroyed. That means Jesus is also in front of us. That means he is in eternity, the right word to use. But what makes it even more powerful and closes this circle in going to make disciples is that it comes from the one that has all authority. Establishes authority by proving who he is and then he comes and says, and I will be there forevermore. I'm in, in eternity with the Father and I'm going to be with you all the way. And so I trust Jesus so he has authority and so it keeps looping. Maybe that's for the rest of our days that we see this happening. I trust him because he has authority. I'm going to go and make disciples in whatever way that is and I'm going to trust that he's with me when I do it. And then I keep relying on that authority again. It is Jesus that changes people. It is not you or I, but we are the tools by which God uses to accomplish that by his grace and by his gift. The Great Commission, as I've seen it, as I've seen this said, uh, is a powerful sandwich of grace. It's the promises of his authority and power on one side and the promise of his constant presence on the other. And in between that is the jam of grace. I should have had a picture of a sandwich, I think, just to try and describe that. But you understand. You know what a sandwich is. I don't have to show you a picture of that. So Daniel dreamed of the Son of Man who came on the clouds of heaven and Jesus worshipped by the disciples when he approached them. Similarities happening again here. He entered God's presence when he rose again. God the Son was given all authority and he has. He dreamed that Jesus would be worshipped by those who learned about him and became his disciples. That happened in Galilee. But it would also be for those that would follow him, follow afterwards. He dreamed that God the Son would have dominion forever and ever, one that will not pass away or be destroyed. Jesus promised every disciple then and to come that he'd be with them to the end of the age. Isn't it weird how the Bible makes sense and holds together how clever God we have, isn't it? Amazing. And sometimes we get so lost in the scripture. This is why I'm saying about being careful that we sometimes end up being disjointed in our understanding of the Bible. God writing in Daniel and God writing in the New Testament, it's all part of a big plan. It's all part of a big story, a big account of what's 
happened, happening, and, uh, and will happen. So as we draw this to an end, here's what we need to understand. Jesus instructed, instructed his disciples to make disciples. And their natural point of reference was the very thing he had been doing with them all along. It simply asked his followers to do what he had been doing with them. He'd gone ahead of them, and he was with them. And then into eternity, he said the same thing. I'm going ahead of you, but I'm with you also. It began with a call from Jesus to the disciples by the Jordan, all the way to the commission in Galilee, three and one half year later. What does it mean for us? What does this mean for disciples? What does this, this principle of go and make disciples mean? In disciple making, we must become trend followers of the first trendsetter, that is Jesus. We must follow the trail set by the first trailblazer, Jesus. What that little section is meant to do for you and I is to say, we don't set the trail. We don't trailblaze. We've got one who's already done that. We've got one who's already set the example. We've got one we can follow. We follow in the wake of Jesus. We follow in what he's done and we just try to do what he commanded us to do. Understanding the full meaning and context of the Great Commission is essential to knowing how to make disciples like Jesus did. To understand that, we must ourselves walk that same path of learning how to continually be effective in discipleship by growing in maturity through the word, through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. So to be a disciple and to make disciples won't be because of some well-crafted interpretation of scripture or theology. It won't be because the way I've presented or present the message to you. It will simply be to ask ourselves this question every day, in every opportunity. A question that's become a cliche in Christian circles. But the question which I hope today gives us a new context for its purpose. What is that question? What would Jesus do? I struggle with this question, if only because of its how much of a cliche it's become amongst Christians. And, I, and, and of course there is a sense of joking within it, but I think we do need to bring this back to what it actually means. What would Jesus do? If I'm sitting with people who are destitute, if I'm praying with people who are at their wit's end, not what would I do? Because my problem solving can be horrible and misdirected and misguided. So what would Jesus do instead? And I'm going to copy that. Let's pray. And then we'll bless each other with this verse today. Father, uh, we want to thank you that you are all-powerful, that you have the power and authority to bring people into your kingdom. Uh, but Lord, we acknowledge that we are part of that kingdom. And today we want to acknowledge that Jesus has come to say, has said, and continues to say for the Holy Spirit, go and make disciples.
Lord, I just pray today that we will have that in our eternal focus of go and make disciples. Not that in everyday conversation we have to get all Christian-y, as it were. But actually, how do I keep that as my main focus, my eyes up, looking up to heaven, go and make disciples and live day to day with the people around me? How do I share my life verbally, non-verbally? How do I share Jesus in every single way that it just oozes out of us? How do we do that, Lord? Only through your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we want to ask that you convict us of this amazing power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us today, that, as I said earlier, it conquered the grave. The power of the Holy Spirit conquered the grave. And Lord, I, I just think, wow, if, it can, if the Holy Spirit, if he can do that, he can save people <laughs> through Jesus, God the Father, and God the, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord. Lord, we lift up these people to you who we know who are not believers in you, who don't trust you yet. And Lord, give us that confidence of yet. Not never. Give us that confidence of yet in our conversation with people, even if it's nothing in that way to do with you, that you're not talking about you, but actually, and in some way reflects you. Lord, guide us and lead us as we just want to see people come to the truth and knowledge of Jesus Christ not for this church, but for Jesus' church. Not for our glory, but for your glory. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.